Support for WVIK comes from Kathleen Collins at the Dragonfly in Bettendorf. Using both conventional and alternative counseling methods for empowerment to help create change for individuals and couples. More information is at KathleenCollinsCounseling.com. All right, places, everyone. Quiet on the set. Curtains in five. Welcome back to Footlights, a community theater podcast from the Quad Cities. My name is Jaren Michelle. And I'm Chris Hicks. And today we are sitting with the good, the great, the legendary Chris Hicks. Who is it? We welcome today the Quad Cities man for all seasons, weatherman, former state senator, teacher, director, founder of the Genesius Guild, founder of WVIK Radio, godfather of Quad City Community Theater, and my personal theater mentor, Don Wooten. I'd like to meet this guy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's why we brought him into the studio today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you are a a big deal locally and like and honestly i i am i feel like i am maybe this is maybe an age thing for me uh i didn't know who you were until i started working here and now i'm like i want to know everything about your life and what you've done so i really just want to give you the floor and let you talk can i skip the years at alcatraz uh, no. <laughs> no those are the most colorful indeed well let's start I know from knowing you for years and years and years um, that you studied biology. Yeah, I'm a biology major. How on earth did you get into community theater? Well, because I was into theater before I got into biology. In the eighth grade, St. Thomas Elementary School did a musical called Old Crosspatch. One of the immortal works. Uh, (laughs) And uh, I was tabbed to play Old Crosspatch. It was not a singing role, and I was cautioned not to sing. (laughs) I've been cautioned not to sing all my life, so I was used to it. And I enjoyed it. Then later on in high school, uh, I got involved in theater, and we did... uh, Arsenic and Old Lace, and I got to play Jonathan Brewster. Mm. And when Jonathan Brewster pops out of the window in that one scene and the audience screams, I thought, this is fun. (laughs) 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 Then, uh, as it happened, though, I entered the seminary at uh, Mm. St. Ambrose. I finished my junior year and figured I've had enough, and uh, so I took some summer courses and came up and entered the seminary, and stayed there for two years away from theater. That may not be uh, exactly correct. My memory's a little dim. I played the role of the Chinese devil in a work by Henri Gaon. I'd never heard of him before, and I'm sure most people haven't. Say, Chris and I just made like an identical flabbergasted, (laughs) what is that face? (laughs) But it uh, it was a fun show. That was fun to do, and I got to wear this impressive costume. But when I was out of the seminary for the last two years, then I got to do Shakespeare, and that did it. Mm. That was the ultimate. I got to play the melancholy Jaquies and As You Like It, and I should have been cast as Macbeth, but no, they made me Macduff. (gasps) I was against the— You got killed. I was against the only— theater major they had. It was senior year. (laughs) And so this is tough because the summer before I'd memorized the entire play. I was ready. (laughs) That's a bummer. (laughs) The entire play. I'm lucky if I can memorize my part. part. I was younger. In those days, Chris, I remembered everything. And that's why school was such a breeze. I remembered everything I heard. I remembered everything I read. You have a photographic memory? No, not photographic. What is that I, called when you remember everything? Omni I, memory? I don't know. Yeah, but it, it was just um, taking tests was a lark. Because Oh, man. Everybody <laughs> now in this, all four of our listeners now hate you. <laughs> 
Well, believe me, it has faded over time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I discovered that it it doesn't last unless you, it's like a muscle, you have to exercise it over and over again. Mm. And if you don't, you lose it. And I think even if you do, things change. And uh, your brain adjusts to different stuff. How much can you stuff into one brain anyway? I have not discovered that yet. I I know how much I can't stuff into. Oh, yeah. Well, that's it. I can remember things from the past, but yesterday is almost a blank. Mm -hmm. Well, we're all headed down that path. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's right. I'm at 94, almost. Yeah, I'm showing my age in every way. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, you look well. Yeah, despite well, you all need that. glasses. So how uh, much how much time between the time you got out of I've never really heard you say this. I I know a lot of the origin story of Genesius Guild. But what was the time lapse between you got out of Ambrose and you started Genesius Guild? Give us the background of that competition thing. Well, um when I got out of Ambrose, I took a job in Muscatine. And uh, worked there for two years in radio. They were doing a play, and they asked me to do a bit part in the play. I can't remember what it was. So you went from biology to radio? Yeah. Well, who doesn't? Well, I'll tell you, I I was intending to be Father Gresham. Father Gresham taught science at Catholic High School for Boys, and he was a priest, and he directed plays. And I thought... That's what I want to do. Hmm. So I entered the seminary, and after two years, I realized I cannot live another person's life. I've got to work out my own. Hmm. So I left, left the seminary and started exploring. I concentrated on biology, and uh, it was assumed that I would stay at Ambrose and be a biology teacher. But then in the fall of 49, the beginning of my senior year, the first television station came to the Quad Cities, and they called up to uh, Ambrose and asked if there, was, if there were someone who could work in the production department, and Father Marlin sent me. So I went down to the station, and I worked in the production department. There was a farmhouse at the top of the... Uh, uh, Brady Street Hill, where the station is now, as I recall, was a white building with red trim. You entered the front door, and there was the prop room right in front of you. To the left side was the studio, and behind that, the uh, technical part of it. And my job was to move scenery from the prop room to the studio back and forth, including pianos, organ, desks, all kinds of things. One of the first things I moved was one of those long tables, about eight feet long, three-some feet deep, and it was a set for uh, Mr. Weatherwise. Mr. Weatherwise was a puppet maneuvered by Paul Pappas, (laughs) and he would slump around the table and look out the window and tell you what the weather was, and he'd go over and look at some dials <laughs> and so I on. That's so Little funny. did I know that the first piece of equipment I touched there was to affect my life. I was destined to replace that dummy on TV. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so fun. <laughs> but in the meantime, uh, the w- KWPC in Muscatine needed somebody to work on weekends, and so Father Marlin sent me, and I went down to Muscatine and worked on Saturdays doing a DJ show. Had you met Bernadette yet? Yeah, I'd met Bernadette. And as a matter of fact, shortly, see, I started work in June of 50, and we were married in November. <clears throat> ah. So it was uh, one of those impromptu. I don't know if I've told one or two people this, but I dated Bernadette. That's another long story about how that happened. But uh, I dated other gals, too. But somehow I wound up dating Bernadette more often. She was eight and a half years older than I. And so no one, including me or her, thought anything would come of this. 
when I was packing up to go to Muscatine, uh, she came over to help me put things away. I was going to leave some belongings with her and her mother. And uh, in the middle of that, I suddenly turned around and said, I think we ought to get married. Mm-hmm. And she said, yes, I think we should. <laughs> and it was at that moment that I fell passionately in love with her. Aww. Oh, that is the sweetest story, and I've never heard that before. <laughs> well, Aww. It's, it's kind of private, but not it isn't now, is it? <laughs> We have four listeners that now know this besides Jaron and That's I. three more than Saturday Morning Live, so <laughs> no, three, no, three less. I'm sorry. You have a ways to go. Oh, well. But uh, anyway, when uh, when I was dating her, I we went to a performance by the, ma- uh, pardon me, by the Playcrafters, and I was so impressed that this group of amateurs was so professional, I wanted to be in that. And it was, since I was living in Rock Island and working in Muscatine, my evenings were in Rock Island, so I joined the cast of uh, a melodrama playing Mortimer Frothingham. And uh, I met Jan Schrag there, who's one of the finest actresses I've ever known. Mm. And I had a wonderful time. But then two years later, I came up to work in television at... uh, WHBF-TV. I went there instead of going back to WOC-TV because they carried Ed Murrow, and I wanted to be on a station that carried Ed Murrow. Mm. So I went to work there, but I worked evenings, and I could not be in Playcrafters, which was a source of great frustration. But then I started uh, directing plays at Alleman at the request of a former classmate. And was that before you started teaching there? Yeah. Started doing plays first. And then um, in 1956, uh, actually, yeah, in 1956, I finally weaseled my way into an afternoon schedule just so I could act with Playcrafters, which shows you where my priorities were. Yeah. And they canceled their season. <gasps> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Not another pandemic, I hope. No. What happened was, first of all, they were going to do The Country Girl. And the director, forget her name, said, Don, you can have whatever part you want, the director or the actor. And I said, I don't care anything. But there was such competition for the Grace Kelly part in The Country Girl that she— That you ga- wanted to play that part. No, I didn't. <laughs> But she gave up and resigned. And at the same time, WOC-TV offered Playcrafters an opportunity to do a half-hour play in primetime once a month. So they canceled their on-stage season to do that. I couldn't be in it because I worked for Channel 4. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. So out of deep frustration, (laughs) by that time I had started teaching at Alleman. So I called some of my students and some friends, and I said, why don't we do get together and perform, perform uh, plays that won't conflict with Playcrafters or Maskers? They were over in Davenport at the time. And I went back to my old friend Henri Gaillon. He was a Frenchman who adapted medieval plays for modern audiences. And there was one, The Parade at the Devil's Bridge, and the Sausage Makers interlude. And uh, so I said, we'll do those, and we'll do them wherever we can. At that time, Rock Island Park Board had uh, the uh, Marshall Dramatics, which was a contest about three or four nights, three one-act plays each night. And in those days, before television really took hold, people entertained themselves by being in theater groups. Every church, every fraternal group, everybody had one. Mm. So there was a lot of competition. So I said, let's get into that. We entered in that in uh, February of 57. We took a couple of trophies. The park director at that time, Ken Kramer, was starting the Starlight Concert Series. 
And since I think because we had an outdoor set, the only one, he said, how would you like to do a play in the park as part of the Starlight concert? I said, sure. 27, I'd do anything. <laughs> and uh, so I said, where? They said, well, pick a park. So I went looking at the different parks and was thinking about doing one at the Hallberg Civic Center, which had just been handed over to the city. But then I went out to Lincoln Park. Now, I had seen this building with the three bricked-in arches, mm. but I'd never looked at the other side. And when I went around to the other side, I saw this circle of Greek columns, and I thought, we'll do a Greek play. I'd never read a Greek play, but it looked <laughs> as if it invited that. And you are I thought, such as, a path. <laughs> as a publicity stunt, we'll do it in mask. Oh, it was a stunt. I did not remember that. Yeah. So, so we did plays. Uh, we uh, first of all, I had to find a Greek play, see what it was like. <laughs> so I was handed the best collection you can find. It's called the Oedipus Cycle by Fitz and Fitzgerald. Consists of Oedipus, Oedipus, Oedipus Rex, Oedipus at Colonus, and Antigone. Mm. A nice line goes through those three plays. So I thought, we'll do all three. It was three consecutive nights. Well, I sobered up pretty quick. And <laughs> uh, we did Antigone, set for two performances, and uh, we did it. Making, I thought after a while that deciding on mass was a terrible mistake. <laughs> We tried, didn't know what to do. We made them out of chicken wire covered with paper mache. They were awful. But we did the play, and it was stunning. Mm. Uh, the audience seemed to like it, but we were overwhelmed. Mm. We thought, what's going on here? Okay, now, if if you performed on the column side, where did— how did you accommodate the audience? We pulled park benches from across the park and put them on the other side. In the pool? No, on the other side of the pool, where the stage is now. Yeah. There's a surface there where you can put park benches. Oh, okay. Right, right, yeah. right, right. So uh, I borrowed lighting equipment from Marycrest College, and uh, we got old sheets, dyed them. and I, I figured this was a one-off. We were just going to do this, and that was it. But... Mm. Once we did it, I thought we got to keep doing this till we get it right. Mm. So I asked Ken Kramer if we could continue doing Greek plays, and he said yes. So next up was Oedipus Rex, and Father George Woolner designed masks for us that worked. Uh, and they worked from that time on, although they, he went through a 10-year period where he was changing the design and structure. But I... We'd found a way to do it, and uh, we did Alcestis the third year, and then uh, then we decided we'd go to do Shakespeare, too. Oh, and, so you didn't start out doing Shakespeare. No, we didn't. You know, I wanted to tell you, this was so interesting to me because of our background. You always insisted that we say Oedipus not Oedipus. Yeah. I, I noticed that, O-E yeah. is pronounced E. Phoenix and Phoebe and the god of wine, Enos. They're all uh, O-E. Yes, but what I wanted to tell you, I am addicted on Sirius XM radio. They have a pro, uh, channel devoted to radio classics. Oh, yeah. And I was listening to that one day, and it was actually a, kind of a documentary on Greek theater, and they pronounced it Oedipus. Sure, that's the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> so somewhere around the, it got twisted around, but I just wanted to share that with you, that you weren't alone, that somebody else <laughs> pronounced it Oedipus. Correctly. Well, you know, it's uh, it happens all the time. Um, let's see, look at uh, Meridosia Bottoms. Uh, Meridosia. That's a corruption of Meridosier, Sea of Willows. Uh, it's uh, see, Smackover, Arkansas. That's uh, a corruption of Chemin Covert, French mm. for covered bridge. Ah. And all through Illinois, we mispronounce names. Milan instead of Milan, Rio instead of Rio. Right. We accent the first syllable. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> it That's, just happens. Now, now, 
you have to back off of that a little bit. Uh, the guest we had a couple of days ago, he was just praising the Midwest all <laughs> up one side and down the other. <laughs> we can't we can't win everything every time. <laughs> no. Yeah, so you put uh, us in our you humbled us. Thank you. We yeah. were getting a little big headed there. <laughs> the problem with Shakespeare though was I, mean, I didn't think we could do that in the in that setting of columns. The columns meant we didn't have to have any scenery. That was enough. But that wouldn't work for Shakespeare. Mm. So I thought, where will we do it? And then there was an ad. or I don't know how I found out about it, but Deer was auctioning off a flatbed trailer. And I thought, you know, we could haul that into the park and do a play on that. That's right. So um, I went talked to George Neely at Deer and said, what's what's going on? He says, we're starting an auction at $125, which was, you know, looks real cheap today, but looked like a lot of money to me. <laughs> and he, I said, well, you know, what I'd like to do, George, is take this and make a theater, a stage out of it and haul it around and do Shakespeare in different places. He says, well, if you're going to do that, I'll stop the auction now, and you can have it for $125. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And I thought, wonderful. I don't have $125. <laughs> so the next day I was talking to Paul Liggett, who did the news at, uh, at uh, WHBF. I told him my predicament. I said, you know, I, I think that would be the answer, but there's no way I can do that. He pulled out his checkbook and wrote out a check for $125. You live a charmed life. You know that's right. You do. I, I actually lead a charmed life. Mm. Things break for me for no good reason at all. <laughs> it's so because God loves you. I bought the flatbed tractor, and Neely had him put fresh tires on it. Whoa. <laughs> So we drove it over to the Hallberg Center, which now became the headquarters for the Genesius Guild, because the city had no further, no use for it at the time, because according to the stipulation on the transfer was that the, one of the men who worked for the Hallberg family, I think his name was Steve in the 60s, he was entitled to stay there in one of the apartments for the servants. So they didn't use the building, so we used it. We used it for costumes, for rehearsals, for all sorts of things. I remember those days. Yeah. Yep. And so I talked to George Woolner, who did the masks, and asked him if he could design a stage. He designed a gangbusters stage. Mm. Beautiful. It would take it apart completely. We had to build a platform equal to the size of the... the, uh, of the tractor, yeah, and had these huge hinges. We'd raise it up and fasten it to the top-level stage. Yeah, it was quite an undertaking. Wow. Sounds a lot easier than the stage we eventually put together at the oh, yeah. bathhouse right. in Lincoln Park. <laughs> but we would drive it over to the amphitheater in Lincoln Park. People would sit on the hill, and we'd do plays there. You know, it's too bad that the park didn't build something down there permanently because that natural amphitheater, I mean, that would be just so neat for the Greek plays. Uh, the Circle of Columns, I thought, was better. and the uh, But the nice thing about Woolner's design for that traveling stage, no matter where I put actors, it looked right. It That's was awesome. just great. Uh, so we did Shakespeare on that. What was the first Shakespeare play you did? Uh, Henry the Fourth, Part One, probably the best. Oh, summation. a light-hearted one then. Yeah, it's <laughs> the best summation of what he does. Has romance, comedy, drama, everything. Yeah. And great characters. So that was our initial offering, and we drove around and performed at Knox College in Galesburg. We performed on the golf course in Kiwani. We performed in Leclerc Park. Wow, that is so. Yeah. Good. I've never. I have. I never, knew you went to Kiwani, but I didn't know about the other two. Yeah, I've. Yeah. I've never heard of anything 
like that. Is a, a, like a, tra- a traveling, a mobile... Jaren, you're only 26. The, I've, yeah. <laughs> that's still, that's so, and like you completely just built it yourselves from scratch. That's amazing. Yeah. We didn't have any plans. We just kind of figured it out as we went along. Yeah. Once coming back from Kiwani, we were stopped by the highway patrol. He said, I just, I, <laughs> said, I, I didn't believe what I was seeing. <laughs> so I suppose we were all sorts of violation, but we had a city license plate on it. So he says, oh, I'm not going to write a ticket for this. That's <laughs> There again, charmed life. Charmed life. That is so, because it seemed like at, fir- at first you've got all of these things aligning so that you are unable to do these things at Playcrafters. But then... All these other things align. See, it's true. When God closes a door, he opens a window. It really seems to have happened in this case. Yeah, Yeah. that's so wild. I've got to credit the Rock Island Park Board. Yes. When I got that platform, I thought it's going to take a couple of thousand dollars to make this work. And my plan was to try to talk four businessmen in Rock Island to lend me $500 at no interest. And I got one to agree to that. And I went to the park board and said, this is what we're going to do. But in order to pay this back, I wonder if we could charge the city, say, $75 for a performance in the park. And Judge Bell, who was chairman of the board, said, no, we won't do that. And I thought, oh, dear. He says, we won't do it unless we can pay for all of it. (gasps) Oh, wow. Charmed life. I almost cried. Yeah. <laughs> so the park board has been the great supporter. You'd think they were doing Marshall one-act plays from 27 to 60. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't realize it was that long. Yeah, mm-hmm. and as a matter of fact, over the last few years, I was managing it for them. And uh, we had... Uh, because there were fewer people participating, I had to make up a couple of groups <laughs> out of our actors to participate. <laughs> but uh, no, it, it, and that the the traveling stage problem is nobody wanted to drive it. Brakes weren't too good. Oh gosh! And once we broke down on the highway, lost a couple a couple of tires went flat, and I thought, okay, we're going to have to do something different. So I talked to my friend Ed Angerer about the possibility of a stage on the other side of the pool with the audience sitting in the circle of columns. And I went to the Rock Island Park Board again, (laughs) and I said, we have this plan that we could do a take-apart stage if you would give us possession of that building for the summer. Now, they used to store their equipment in there. Oh. So I explained what it would mean. They would have to build a shed down in the parking lot and so on. And they immediately said, yes, we'll do that. So we got busy, knocked the cinder blocks out of the arches on the pool side, immediately built uh, doors to seal it up. We knocked out a part of the wall on either side so we could get into the dressing rooms mm-hmm. on the side, and we had ourselves a stage. Yes, we did. But that stage was a monster. Uh, the stage sections were 24 feet long, 4 feet wide, and about 6 inches deep, mm-hmm. and it took a small army to assemble them. They had interlocking things at the bottom. And at first, we'd summon the entire membership to get it done. Then later on, I talked to phys ed class at Alleman. Oh, I was going to say, you got 100 Egyptian slaves in. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then after a while, details of that staging, you know, some of it was pretty hazardous. We never had an accident, but... And well, we did. not we in building it, but we've had accidents uh, uh, during the show. That's right. Uh, well, in building, I fell through the stage one time. Oh, my gosh. I was up on the second floor, and somebody put the wrong wrong pieces in, and I felt the board slip. I grabbed a ladder that was there <laughs> and 
fell against the wall, then it turned around. I went head first down Ooh. to the bricks. Oh. But it took long enough for somebody to step in and save me. Oh. Catch me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, we had an actor fall off when it. We used to have towers on yeah. either side of the stage. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember which play it was. And you also have to understand that we had electric wires running through the pool that we used to fill with water. Oh, oh no. <laughs> they, they, that was okay as long as nobody got in the water. <laughs> but unfortunately, we had an actor fall off one of those towers into the pool. Oh. Yeah. And it was just the quickness of the people in the light booth to kill the electricity that that person is alive today. Oh, my. Oh, I'm, oh, oh, I'm having anxiety. <laughs> that, that's, hey. That's stopped. He didn't die. <laughs> I stopped the play cold. An ambulance came up, took him to the hospital. I went along. Nervous as you can, you can imagine, I told his wife, we will pay for anything. Yeah. She said, no, he has insurance at John Deere. No problem. Oh, thank God. He came to in the operating room and said, when do I go on? Oh, my God. <laughs> a true actor. <laughs> Years later, during a comedy, his son was in. And the action called for him to come from the second level to the first via a rope. And the night his dad was there, he says, look, Dad, this is how you do it. (laughs) (laughs) And fell into the pool. No. Gosh, that's so. Oh funny. yeah, we have a lot of stories. I and I oh. want to hear all of. So I'm so I'm wondering. So the year that this state, what year was that that this big stage was built? And then Chris. Well, about actually, what? there were two iterations of the big stage. Oh. Yeah, that's true. Uh, the first one I think was in '63, and we finished it just in time for the first production. Uh, we would work all night long trying to put the thing together, wow. but uh, we were still painting it. Uh, just before dress rehearsal. But uh, that stage was very dramatic. It wasn't all that practical. And I told Ed Anger after a while, I said, Ed, it takes an army to put it together. Can you design a stage that three people could assemble if necessary? (laughs) And he did. And he came up with a marvelous design with the triangles on the side that we could do anything with that stage, thanks to those triangles, we could build out from it. We could do all sorts of things. One year, we d- turned the whole thing into a huge Greek temple. Another time, we had a forest that could be converted to a palace. Uh, yeah. I miss those. I miss those. I miss the towers. The Right now, it's just a flat platform, and it no, really and limits the... It's never going to be back until they restore the towers. Right. The triangles are... And they're not that hard to build. I think the problem is that we had stage managers that learned how to do it, and they'd pass the information on. But at some point, that broke. And the next season... The people assembling the towers had never worked on it before, and they had a miserable time. And finally, they just gave up altogether after a few years. And I said, wait a minute. Six people can do it. Do we lift those heavy? No, no, you throw a rope over the top and haul it up. It's that simple. (laughs) And uh, But since that time, they've not completed the, uh, the triangles on the side. And until they, until you get something that brings the stage forward, and that was the idea of the side towers to begin with, Anger said, you've got to bring the building forward to enclose the acting area right. to make it a stage. Mm-hmm. And uh, that worked perfectly. It really was. We had a wonderful time on that stage. Yes, I remember having a wonderful time holding down a cardboard mountain when a thunderstorm was rolling in for Prometheus Uh, Bound. The joys of outdoor theater. (laughs) There was a huge thunderstorm coming in, and all the other actors took off to the costume house, to, and I think it was Henry and I and maybe John Holtz. Yeah. And here this wind comes in, and we've got these huge... It's like it was like a sailboat almost, <laughs> and I'm holding on to this rope, and this wind is coming in. I thought I was going to go up into the atmosphere, but we got it in. 
They have a lot of funny stories. I was going to say, Chris, they're what? F- well, they're funny now. Funny now. Oh, oh yeah, they're always funny afterwards. When they occur, it's just awful. Chris, what year did you get involved with Genesius Guild then? 1969. Okay. I was 19 years old. And I think I told you this story before. Or maybe it was when you interviewed me a couple of weeks ago. Could be. Um, Tell it again. Tell it again. <laughs> I was... Uh, had just been in Twelfth Night at Blackhawk College. And Fred Walters yeah. was my director for that. Fred was one of those kind of college teachers that invited the kids over to the house, and he and his wife, you know, la, 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 la. Well, mm-hmm. summer rolls around, and Fred says to me, I'm going to audition at this place called Genesius Guild that I had never heard of. And he said, and you're coming with me. You read Shakespeare cold better than anyone I've ever heard. I guess I think an iamic pentameter. (laughs) I don't know. But that's how I got over there. And I was cast as Portia in The Merchant of Venice. And at that time... Our taskmaster said, if you have a major role in a Shakespeare play, you have to be in the chorus of the Greek play. So mm-hmm. the, actually, the first play I was in at Genesius Guild was in the chorus of the Bacchae. Oh, that's a great play. Yeah. Wow. So, um, and you know, boy, this, although the Greek play this past summer was pretty good considering, um, they only had one choral ode, and it was very short. And boy, I missed that. Mm. That was—it's a regular feature of Greek plays, as we used to oh, say. Yeah. And yeah, that's and what sets it apart. Yeah. One of the greatest bits of poetry that I've ever encountered is a choral ode in Antigone, when all the conflicts come out into the open. And the chorus comes together and gives this great, great ode. Numberless are the world's wonders, but none more wonderful than man. The storm-gray sea yields to his prows. His huge crests bear him high. Earth, holy and inexhaustible, is graven with shining furrows where his plows have gone year after year, the timeless labor of... It goes on through all the accomplishments of humanity, Words are his and thought as rapid as their uh, statecraft. It goes on and on, you know, but uh, if you have no morality, what does it mean? It's just a, it's one of the finest things I've ever read, and I've had that committed to memory ever since the first time we did it. Yeah. I just love it. And there are things in the Greek plays that are so central to everyone's life. You know, you wonder why don't people do these things? Because they they came along at the very beginning of theater, where people were using theater to explain humanity to itself. They took stories from their past and their myths, and they cast them in a way that illuminated what it is to be human. Yeah, they're great things. While we're on the subject of Greek plays, I have a question for you. And then I have another question that I want to pose to you because we've kind of been posing it to every guest we've had so far. Mm -hmm. So the first one is I've talked to Jaron and our other guests about how you always liked to orchestrate voices. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about that. The voice is the key to everything. Uh, when I was at Alamon, we even had a speech choir where we would do poetry in unison. But I had sopranos, I had basses, I had altos, and you could do tricks with that. When we did the bells by Poe, with the bells, 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 I'd use different voices. And you could do so much with that. And let's face it, this medium here, radio, the voice is everything. You don't see us. You only hear the voices. And you clothe those voices with some kind of image. And your, your mind becomes very active. So radio is not 
quite as good as reading and doing that, but it's very close. So, yeah, you pay attention to voices. It's the lines in the plays, if it's a great play. It's bringing those lines to life and having them spoken by real people. At least you've assumed the, the cloaking of that real person. Yeah, the voice does it. And it's nice to have a variety of voices, but they must be clear. You have to project, and there we go. <laughs> project. 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 I've, been, project. <laughs> I, I, I've mentioned many times that you taught me how to project and that you insisted on it, and that's what just drives me crazy at, at theatrical productions now. And, and part of it is because a lot of the venues now are much smaller, but, and they, don't, they still don't speak up. I know. I know. It's, I remember a, a review of a Prenzy production one time. The uh, reviewer talked about the exciting action and so on, so but I couldn't understand what they were saying. Mm-hmm. I think that was my review. <laughs> I don't, but I thought it does sound like something you'd say. <laughs> and I thought, well, yeah, that's true. It's, it's not just there, but in many, many different venues. That might have been my review of Macbeth. I don't know. This was because a that one. They it wasn't exciting, and and they and they. Prenzy, I will give them credit for, yeah. is that they really work on making the iambic pentameter hearable to the modern ear. Yeah, I agree. And um, in this particular production, they were so familiar with it, and, and they just rapid fire, rapid fire, rapid fire, mm-hmm. that it was difficult to follow them. Yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, high school plays, too, are miked these days. And I think, boy, that's a shame because the kids never learn how to project. It's, you know, there's certain, if you hum, and then place your voice right there, that'll do it. Mm-hmm. You have mm-hmm. to remember to keep it there. That's the problem. That's the problem, <laughs> absolutely. Now, I know you've been out of theater actively for a few years now. Four years. So, well, that's not that long. I was going to say only four years. Yeah. That's, that's not I, long at all. I've missed you more than four years. I know. Well, I wound up as uh, board president after 60 years. Mm. And it, we're about 64 years now, something I like that. I think so, yeah. yeah. What would be, what would you like community theater to be in today's world? What what would I like community theater? Yeah, it can be whatever you want. Quite frankly, uh, it can be a recreation, it can be a group experience. Uh, it depends on what kind of plays you do. Uh, we've carved a niche for ourselves in the Geneva. I say we, although I'm not in it now, but uh, our niche is Greek theater, and uh, we're the only company in the country that does Greek theater in full mask every year for, well, since 1957. Wow. Uh, over a period of a few years, we, we gave away T-shirts, and people had to fill out little cards. And I told them, we just want to find out where you come from. Mm. In that span of time, we had people from... 38 states, 10 foreign countries, 40 or 50 communities in Illinois, and 30-some in Iowa. That's incredible. And I lived in in the Quad Cities my whole life, and when I was 19, I had never heard of Genesius People in the neighborhood don't know anything about it. It's just, and that's that's my fault. Uh, I was always anxious to get a local audience but I was afraid of talking too much about this beyond the Quad Cities because, after all, we're amateurs. Although I will say that the, pro- the productions were really of an excellent caliber. But I was always thinking maybe this year we won't be excellent, so <laughs> let's just keep it at home. And so nobody really knows about it. And yet, 
I ran into a couple one night, elderly couple, who hung around after the uh, play was over to talk to me. And they said they just wanted to thank me for doing the Greek plays. They really enjoyed them, but they're getting too old to drive now, so this is their last performance. And I said, oh, too bad. Where do you come from? New Jersey. (gasps) Uh, What? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I said, you came from New Jersey? He says, there's no place else we can see these. Huh? Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah, so you never know. You just never know what's going on in the audience or who's there. And I, I think that we surveyed the audience for about five or six years to get that information. And uh, I was astounded and alarmed. I thought, well, you, we've really got to do good <laughs> plays here. <laughs> we've really got to bear down and make it worth seeing. Yeah. Or are we just too stubborn not to do it anymore? <laughs> well, you know, thanks to you, I astounded my directing uh, teacher at Western Illinois University. The very first class, he used the play Antigone. And he, now we had not had any instruction. This was the first class, the first time we're in there. And he wanted somebody to volunteer to set up a scene on stage from Antigone. And of course, I'm sitting there all shy and everything, (laughs) and I didn't raise my hand. And some guy raised his hand, he goes up there and he does, I can't remember how many characters we had, maybe seven or nine people from the class, and he said, place them on stage. And he went up there, and the teacher looked at it, and he just kind of, hmm, anybody else? (laughs) So then I kind of shyly raised my hand, and I went up there, and I arranged, and I put somebody on a chair standing up like this and and sitting and one on one knee, just like I'd seen you do, and, and I'd only had two summers of exposure to Don Wooten. Oh, wow. And I finished, and he stood there agape. Uh, and uh, he said, where did you learn that? <laughs> and I amazing. said, well, I've been in two Greek plays in Rock Island. <laughs> <laughs> in a little Rock Island, yeah. Illinois. Yeah, so. I have another story like that. One of the... Uh, one of the people in the guild went to a state university somewhere, and he decided to sign up for Greek plays because he'd been in one. And uh, they, the instructor handed out the reading list. He says, oh, you probably haven't heard or seen of these. And he said, oh, yeah, I've seen all of them but this one. <laughs> he said, where in the name of God can you see even one of these plays? Back home in Rock Island, I knew them every summer. <laughs> That's so special. I love that. <laughs> yeah. so, now, test your You said we were talking. I don't think we were on the air when we were talking about that, your memory. I test you. Do you remember what play you and I were in together? Ooh. Dum, da dum, dum. It must, let's see. You were in so many plays, and I was in so few. <laughs> I was in, uh, I stepped in to play when we lost uh, Horatio. I stepped in to play Dionysus in the Bacchae once. Nope. And uh, I played a drunken uh, priest. Actually, we were in two plays. And uh, I forget what that, uh, comedy. I played... Uh, when we were when we were on the road to uh, Knox College, I played Falstaff. I never went to Knox College. No, I, I'm just I'm thinking of Allowed. plays I've been. Kinda I was in Antigone. Pardon me. I was I played Oedipus Rex and I played Richard the Third. And ding ding ding! Richard the Third was one. Oh. The other was Oedipus at Colonus. Oh yeah, Oedipus, that's right. You and uh, there, I've got a wonderful picture of the two of you. The uh, is Mani and uh, Antigone. I think I was Antigone. Oedipus. I was the one who stuck with you, and I the grody green dress. You were uh, <laughs> you were Antigone in that one. That was a running joke at Genesius Guild. I always had the grody green dress. 
Which was beautiful, by the way. Yeah. She... No, it was a rag. That was from when Antigone was in in trouble, and she they were didn't Antigone and Oedipus uh, hang around out in the wilderness or something? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That was my grody green dress. <laughs> oh, I that... don't know how much. Other people's sweat was in that. There, uh, there are some really good photos from that, from that edition of Oedipus at Colonus. Mm. That was a, a very, a surprising play. I held off doing it because I wasn't sure how it would play, but played like sixty. It was great. Don, I want to ask you uh, when you think about you know all of the shows that Genesius Guild has done and everything that you have done there. Um, Tell, can you think of think of a moment or tell us about a particular show where that just made you think like I'm I'm real proud of what we're doing. I'm real proud of what we're doing here. You have to understand, always directing plays, I'm very critical. Uh, I don't go to plays now because the first thing I think is, why did they do that? This would have worked. <laughs> and so although you know we've done excellent plays, I think the scenes in, with which I'm totally satisfied are few. You, I don't think you count them on, on two hands. There was one production of Macbeth where Jim Lula got really sick toward the end of the play. But two of those little scenes at the end were as well done by him in that condition as I can imagine them done. The most recent one, I think, that sticks in my mind was when we did the Oresteia. It's the second time we had done the complete cycle. And uh, Braddy played the part of Athena. And uh, her final scene, where Athena is telling the Furies to convert to the kindly ones, to give up their their profession of seeking revenge, instead become positive. And her delivery of that speech, I stood there enthralled. I thought, I don't know how this happened, mm. but that speech cannot be done better by anybody. That is perfect. Wow. But you don't run into that kind of perfection very often. But when it does happen, it just—it's like electricity. It's—it's it's just terrific. Mm. But the idea is to keep trying for that, and we come close. We come close a lot. But it's hard work. Uh, the Genesis Guild is not for fooling around. Uh, we get out there and we get to work. The sound you hear most frequently is laughter because it's a pleasant place to be and a nice company of people. But you get on stage and you can't fool around. You do the part. Back you... in the day, there were there were rehearsals. We were there till 3 o'clock in the morning. Oh, my gosh. We'd run the, a whole Shakespearean show, and he'd want to do it again, and we'd run the whole show again, and we did not leave the park till 3 o'clock in the morning. We are in a, you know, when you're doing four plays over a 10-week span, you don't, you haven't got a lot of time to fool around. Right. It was different when I directed all the plays because I could make adjustments and rehearsals to be, you know, a little bit more for this one, a little bit less for that one as needed. But you think about the scope of that. Two Shakespearean plays, two Greek plays. For years we had an opera with a full orchestra in the pool. Hmm. We added professional ballet, uh, free performances. Wow. Yeah. The audience doesn't pay a dime. Right. There's nothing like that in the United States. Now, we had to give opera, had to give up opera because after several rainouts, you realize I'm spending all this money on an orchestra and they're not going to be able to play. So we... Uh, got together with uh, Augustana and Ambrose, and we talked to Ron May, whose uh, Opera Quad Cities has been, had been quiet for a few years, and I said, let's cooperate. 
I had raised some money, and I said, we'll give you money for the first season, and they get a start. And then the Genesis Guild will back out of this, and Augie and Ambrose and Opera Quad Cities go forward indoors, alternating between both sides of the river from year to year. COVID blew that up, but they're starting again. Mm. And uh, same way with ballet. We've had ballet out there for years, uh, back before they were the Cassandra Manning Ballet Company, before they were Ballet Quad Cities. Mm -hmm. And uh, you think about the scope of that, but then a variety of reasons we've had to shorten the seasons and so on. We did a Trojan season one time. Every play had something to do with Troy. We brought in Giroudou's Tiger at the Gates and a couple of modern one-act plays, actually kind of comedies, and we put in with the others. And And also, um, oh, shoot, what was it? It was... We had three or four actors on stools and. Oh yeah, the um, Don Juan in Hell. No, another one. Oh. Little excerpts of stuff. Shakespeare's life and his works. Not that one either. I can't think. Sounds of what it's called. and sweet airs. That's it. Sounds and sweet airs. We did that. Yeah. That's so much stuff. That's fun. Yeah. The cool part was we didn't have to wear carpeting <laughs> costumes <laughs> in July. <laughs> oh goodness I could never <laughs> oh it was great because it was readers theater we didn't have to memorize anything oh that's awesome too <laughs> well you had to be pretty familiar with the script sure. yes I yes. wasn't going to let you get away with just keeping your nose in the book just showing up <laughs> what a taskmaster. <laughs> well get it right that's the whole thing <laughs> oh you want it to be done right well Anything right. else you have? I was going to say, if, if you've touched, have is there anything else left that you want to touch on, that you want to make sure we get No, to? I just want to take this opportunity to thank you for all those years at Genesius Guild that I had. You have been an inspiration and a huge influence on my life. And I blame you that I met Henry and had to get married to him. Um, well, not had to get married to him. What? I want to. I kind of want to meet. I want to hear that story. <laughs> oh, can we do that real quick? Oh yeah. Um, it was during the Bakke. Um, my husband was one of the backstage people. He construction and such. Ah. And um, one time he walked by me and and spouted off. You know, we teased back and forth, and I hit him with my thyrsus. Which is a Greek phallic symbol. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he deserved it. But <laughs> and uh, that's we started dating that summer, and now we're married for fifty years. <laughs> you know, let let me just add something here. I have been freighted with honors in this community. Oh, from... I don't consider it an honor that I met Henry there. <laughs> no. no, but I mean, me personally. Both for the Genesius Guild and WBIK. But I never forget that anybody can have an idea, but it's the people who make it come to life. Those are the ones who should get the credit. I often think of. You don't think you made it come to life? I think I couldn't do it myself. Could well, no, I? you couldn't do it yourself, but you did make it come to life. Well, the thing is, it was the actors who made the play, mm. and I never forgot that. It's like uh, great factories. The people who are paid the least do the real work. Mm. They make the product, and everybody else who has a much better salary advertises it, sells it, and so on. But we don't give enough credit to the people who actually do the work. WVIK depends on the staff, and they come and, and, and perform as well as they can. And I'm, I've been very proud of the station. When we went on the air in 1980, we had the most professional sound in the area because we were ready for it. And the Genesius Guild 
if ever we do a bad play, we never forget it because that's not what we're about. We want to get it right. Absolutely. And uh, it's the actors who do that. I get the honors, the plaques, and so on. The actors are the ones who deserve it. Ah, oh, you're sweet. No, it's true. It's true. That's that's not false modesty or anything. It's the bloody truth. <laughs> if you don't have actors who can do the job, what's the point? I can stand out there and talk all night, but it doesn't do the job. <laughs> you need the actors. You need the actors, the dedicated actors who are willing to pitch in and get it right. That has been a recurring theme in all our our episodes so far. For sure. For Absolutely. Sure. And yeah. I, I'm glad that you uh, sat here and talked to us for had 60, 60 minutes of your time. This was so special, and I'm so glad that we got the opportunity to do this. I feel like I'm kind of sitting here in awe a little bit. Jaron, um, you got to remember, it's easy for me to talk. It's very hard to get me to shut up. <laughs> I <laughs> and told you it'd be an why, easy interview. And didn't that's I? why we're all in radio. <laughs> well, thanks again for being here, Don. My really pleasure. Appreciate it. Yes, thank you so, so much. Thanks for listening to Footlights, a community theater podcast from the Quad Cities. Footlights is a production of WVIK, Quad Cities, and PR. I'm Jaron Michelle. And I'm Chris Hicks. Break Break a a leg. leg.